This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. Stand and Deliver! Hello and welcome to the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with me, Rodders. I'm a comedian, I'm a promoter, and I'm the man behind the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club, which runs every second Thursday up above Smoking Billy's in the middle of Reading. If this is the first episode you've ever downloaded, you've joined us at episode 10. Make sure you go back and listen to some of our previous episodes. The last one, for example, an interview with Simon Kane. He was He's one of the circuit's great DIY comics without any uh, PR or agent representation. He does UK-wide tours, uh, hour-long editing shows and it's just an all-round nice guy and is a very interesting very opinionated on a lot of things so i'd advise going back and downloading that one but on today's show uh, we talked to patrick monaghan he rose to notoriety when he uh, won show me the funny which was an itv show uh, that was kind of like uh, the apprentice meets the x factor uh, for comedians it was kind of like a big competition uh, but he'd been doing stand-up for many years prior to that as well um and he's he's just uh, he's an amazing actor to watch. He loves and lives comedy every single day, and it's just very hard to imagine him in a bad mood. I think if you got him in a bad mood, I, I think <laughs> you'd be an awful person because I, I don't really know what you'd have to do to be honest with you. He's just an amazingly nice person, and uh, uh, he played the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club back in February of last year when the comedy club was very very new. I think might have been partly responsible for one of our first ever sellouts. And uh, I was emceeing that night, and to, to get to perform alongside him was uh, well, a privilege, to be honest. And it was a, it was a great night; uh, it was wonderful. Uh, I've just got back from the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, when I uh, recorded this interview with Patrick, it was at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and he did not turn up alone. Nope, he was accompanied by his girlfriend Lily Lovett, who you might have seen her in the Inbetweeners and the Inbetweeners movie, as she plays Rachel, and she's been in Silent Witness. And uh, last year, she performed her first ever Edinburgh hour where she did like an hour long of celebrity impressions uh, so yeah she turned up as well so it got a bonus interview a guest I wasn't expecting and uh, she collaborates with Pat uh, they do a dating show uh, uh, live at the Edinburgh Fringe uh, which is amazing so a real life showbiz couple on the podcast today uh, but before we get on to our guests, uh, I thought I'd tell you, I'd, I'd, you might hear it in my voice, I'm a little bit tired. I've just got back from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival where I did a week-long run. Uh, I did a show called Mirth in the Morning. It was every morning at 10 past 11 in, in a venue called The Counting House. A lovely little uh, room I was given. It's The Loft, which is a really nice 30-seater. To break myself in easily, I wanted a small room. Uh, at a time away from drunks because <laughs> um, if you haven't been to the Edinburgh Fringe before it's quite hard to describe so they take an entire city and practically everything from the top deck of double decker buses to the back rooms of restaurants to uh, what look like abandoned buildings to theatres to ballrooms are turned into venues uh, for all sorts of arts but there's an awful lot of stand-up comedy there as well so there's a huge amount of competition so I, I wanted to go for a relatively small room 
Uh, and uh, yeah, the show was called Mirth in the Morning. It was uh, an hour, about an hour long, and it was me uh, presenting some of my favourite acts who have, a lot of them had played the club before. Some of them I, I just kind of met in Edinburgh and thought, wow, they're good, let's, let's give them a spot. Um, and uh, 10 past 11, it is the crack of dawn to do a show in Edinburgh. Uh, the only other shows that are on that time are primarily kids' shows. It might not sound like an early time, might sound like a lie-in, but bearing in mind there are shows running all through the night, and if I was booked to do late night shows which a couple of times I was I'd have a few hours sleep and then I'd be out uh, of my accommodation by nine-ish and I'd be out flyering uh, and trying to get audiences in for my for my show uh, primarily to get audience in you, you fly it you hand out pictures of yourself um, <laughs> to try and get people to come in and at that time of day the difficult thing there weren't that many people around but the people that were around were much easier to talk to because they were standing around deciding what to go see with for the rest of the day so you could really engage them with conversation because just handing a flyer to someone uh, I think is useless they might read it they might not they'll probably just drop it on the floor but if you engage them in conversation and nice to them tell them about your show they think oh well actually yeah we've got a spare hour while we work out what to do with the rest of our day and I think in a couple of instances I was the dad crash uh, the mother would take uh, the child to the uh, children's Kaylee or the puppet show and uh, <laughs> give me the father to look after uh, which I thought was a nice little niche to have at the fringe um, I mean I did just say I, I wanted that time in the morning so I wouldn't have to deal with drunks all the time we did get a uh, drunk <laughs> um, unbelievably we had a very drunk German man in on about the uh, I think the, I think it was day number one uh, it was very funny it was very good value I thought and uh, <laughs> I remember my uh, uh, colleague and comedian friend Lucas Jolson uh, was on stage and he, he looked at this man and said Usually, comics are meant to say something like, oh, I love what he's having, but I don't want a bottle of white wine at 11am. <laughs> it, was, it was ridiculous. Uh, and uh, I did say it was me or sock puppets at that time of day, just in case the audience uh, were missing out. I did remove my sock and do them some sock puppetry uh, at one point, and just as I'd put the sock puppet away um, a gentleman arrived and sat down in my audience a little bit late and I said look I'm, I'm not going to explain to you why I've taken one shoe and one sock off um, <laughs> he probably thought it was a really inefficient strip tease I was, I was performing but yeah as I, I said a few moments ago absolutely everything has turned into a venue in Edinburgh and <laughs> some of the venues are I mean some of them look like squats I mean I, I played in one venue and as I was waiting to go on a door fell off its hinges and nearly hit me on the head. Um, and this place was such a, a war zone that I uh, I felt compelled to go onto stage uh, with a sweeping brush uh, and sweep the stage. I remember uh, looking up at the audience and just saying, I'll be with you in a minute. Um, <laughs> I need to sort out the state that this place is in. If something compels me to be tidy, uh, it's, it's got to be in, in a pretty horrendous state. I mean, it's a huge contrast. You see some of the best acts, you see some of the worst acts in some of the best venues and some of the worst venues. It's a real sort of melting, point, uh, melting pot. One of the funnest and strangest shows I got to take part in was Trevor Feelgood's The Weird Alternative uh, Showcase. It was on at about nine at night at a small room above the three broomsticks um, <laughs> run by alternative character act Trevor Feelgood. Um, and uh, this, I remember the second night I performed for him um, Trevor's a prop comedian and another they had a number of prop comedians on so they basically for every joke they have a physical object they have to take out their suitcase for the punchline so 
by the end of the night, oh, by the time I got on stage, this place was just littered with props. It was like a child's bedroom that hadn't been tidied in in a number of years. And I remember uh, there was one gentleman in the third row that we no one could get a reaction out of. And uh, the PA started making, the uh, speakers started making strange noises. So I remember climbing into the audience and going, maybe that noise is this man's inner monologue. And as I did it, I, the, the cord, as I climbed into the audience, the cord got wrapped around the mic stand and started wobbling. Then I, I basically did a bit of puppetry with a mic stand and it started berating us for reducing alternative comedy to a series of fools putting things on their heads. Um, and then the mic stand fell over and narrowly missed an audience member. So, yep, I, I'm an a extremely dangerous performer and uh, <laughs> a force to be reckoned with uh, within the sphere of surrealism <laughs> or, or something like that anyway. But yeah, so that was my week in Edinburgh. I, I did perform in, uh, I think, the smallest room I've ever performed in, which was, uh, well, to be honest, quite a harrowing experience. I'll, I'll tell you more about that later. But first, uh, let's get to our guest, shall we? Uh, Patrick Monahan is his name. Uh, we talk about all sorts of things, how, the, how he manages to play audiences that are very different from himself, how he doesn't always take critics very seriously. He talks about his time on the TV show Show Me the Funny and his month-long run at the Edinburgh. Fringe. Uh, we caught up at Fringe Central, in which is sort of the hub where the Fringe management live, and uh, I'm very grateful for them for lending me a room for 40 minutes. In fact, the podcast went <laughs> in keeping with Patrick Monaghan's stand-up shows. Uh, the podcast went on for so long, uh, we were thrown out of the room eventually, and because I had another booking. So here's the interview. It's Patrick Monaghan. And Lily Lovett. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. It's the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. I'm Rodders. We're hiding in the only quiet corner of the entire Edinburgh Festival at Fringe Central. I'm with Patrick Monahan. You right, Pat? Hello, Rodders. How are you doing? I like hiding. This is the best thing to do in Edinburgh is to play hide and seek. And it took me... I mean, it's quite funny because you sent me the postcode for this venue. And that is what Edinburgh's like where... People just go to the same four places. You go where the food shop is, where your gig is, where you go and check where your fly people are and where the train station is so you know how to get out of Edinburgh. And this place I've never seen before, but it's beautiful. I must have first seen you gig yonks ago, way before you did Show Me The Funny. Yeah. Uh, it was at Reading University. Oh, I mean, it's probably wow. lost in the mist of times. Oh. But what stands out is in Mojo's Bar, uh, the Student Union, yeah. and uh, you made the security rather worried by... You've got two couples... Up, you've got a couple up front, and you did a crowd-surfing race <laughs> right to the back. And I've never seen the security look so worried. Um, it was, was that? It was, it was a lot. It must have been a long time ago. Was that the one like that White Night Campus or something? Yes. Do you remember? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I remember that. That's... I don't remember Krausen, but I remember I did it a few times. I remember it because I, I, yeah, I always go to Reading. I love Reading, and it's um, and it's that place where you just go a bit further out, doesn't it? Once you get to the station, I remember it's further out to the campus, and I remember yeah, it's quite nice all students. But that's the great thing about students or student unions is that everyone's really up for it, sort of thing, aren't they? They're always up for like you know doing anything madness which is a bit like the Edinburgh Festival where all the crowd surfing comes from really it's weird normally people say the opposite the further south you go the less the more timid and reserved the students are but you I've seen nights there where it's been very hard work for crowd work but you managed to get people up the front which is like and got them surfing it was bonkers exactly I think I think that's the thing I think as long as you go don't have any uh, prerequisites don't you know just every gig is the same to me or every place you go because people always ask you that in, in comedy, that's one of the things you'll get when you're being interviewed. They'll say, look, what um, is it easier to play somewhere? Where's your favourite places? And I say, look, to be honest, 
it, it doesn't matter where you're playing, it's just the audience. I mean, you could be playing on a spaceship in the moon or whatever, but as long as the audience are happy, you know, because, you, you, you know, look, I'm from the northeast of England, so it's always easier when I'm back at home. But then again, to be honest, it's easy for me down south because then you're exotic there, you know, you're somewhere different, you know, so you haven't got the the home references. And I think that's the thing with, with comedy where, yeah, people go, oh, my God, yeah, they get a bit timid down here or it's a bit more reserved, but not really. I mean, you could... I'd rather have an audience who just want to watch than have, like, 300 people on a stag and hen do, because then it's just like, well, then that is just crowd control. So saying about all audiences are effectively the same, you can entertain any of them, does that just come with experience? Because I, I feel, as, as a much more junior actor, I'll look at a room and think, oh, gosh, I, I don't have anything in common with them. I'll, I'll do my best. I'll try pick the things I think they might go for. But there are definitely crowds I find easier than than others when you yeah. when you were starting out did you find that or you always yeah. just thought well um, let's just get on with it yeah exactly I mean that is that's the thing that we all do that's the same mistake where you think oh I'll try and play to that crowd and even now it's taken me years to learn this and I remember like even this festival I was chatting with Scott Capura who's a great comic great American comic and David Mills and and he's been doing it like twice as long as me and he's so good and he said don't you know don't worry about pleasing the audience. You've got to please yourself because that's the thing. Look, you go on, you're a young lad, you go on the audience and you were thinking, this audience are twice your age and you're thinking, oh, they're all middle-aged, I'll do stuff for them. You'd be wasting your time because they've, the reason they're there is to see you because they want to see someone who's got a different perspective. And also, if you're... Um, if you believe in it and you're funny, they're going to come along and laugh with you because there's no point going on and then just doing jokes you think are going to be tailored. It's like when I do... Like, I've done corporates, you do a lot of corporates. And the way you do best at any shows like that, you know, if there's 500 people who work for an IT company, the last thing they want to hear is half an hour of jokes just on IT because they work in the industry. It's like a middle-aged audience. If you go on and there's 300 middle-aged people, don't just talk about things you think middle-aged people will like because then they've, bought, they've heard it all. So go on and just be you because they'll go, oh, this is refreshing. Well, there has to be a bit of give and take. So you do kids' yeah. shows as well. I, I oh, doubt yeah. you do the same. Well, I've never seen you do a conga with the over 60s maybe yeah. you, maybe you do but like I've, i imagine you if that's the the You're difference right. is that great like uh, eight-year-olds versus 50-year-olds yep. you exactly. must have to tailor it yeah. a bit yeah i think with the kids shows the thing is it's so funny because i have done kids shows here for years and years and i, I think the thing with them is that you've got to remember that that audience at kids show you'll have 200 people at a kids show but a hundred of them are going to be adults. So, so it is really, again, you've got, it's a bit like watching The Simpsons, you know, where the humour in that, you know, some of the, not everyone's going to get every joke every second, but some of the jokes the kids are going to love, and then there's going to be some jokes that'll go over the head, which the adults love. And I think that's the best way you do a comedy show. Don't tailor it too much. This is, this is the thing that I found, and that a lot of people ask, because I've seen people who, won't do comedy, for, they won't do a gig if there's a kid in the audience. I'm like, well, don't worry, I've had, like, you know, 8-year-old kids, 11-year-old, 12-year-old kids come to my adult show at night time, and it's not a problem because I don't swear in my adult show, and, it, and it's, but I don't change the references. I'm not going to suddenly go, do you know what, I'm not going to talk about mortgages because there's an 8-year-old and they're not going to get... I think, no, because the thing is, they're not going to get all of it, but they'll still appreciate the fact that, you know, they'll work through stuff. Yeah, and I guess as long as the parents know it's not, it's not exactly. a kid's show, then it's their fault. Yeah, I, I had exactly. a couple of... Uh, they must have been about... They're not kids, but they're about 14, younger yeah, than my normal demographic. Probably. But I thought, well, sod it. Like, I can't 
tailor stuff for them. I don't know any... 14-year-olds. <laughs> oh, do you remember when we liked Lego? Oh, no. God, yeah. Oh, no, but honestly, 14-year-olds will know more than me and you. God, look at the... But the Teach internet. us swear words, right? Exactly, <laughs> swear words. That's really funny, because people say, oh, um, oh, don't do... We mustn't swear in front of children. But I, I swear, sometimes you walk past... Well, I don't yeah. swear, but if you walk past a playground, you'll hear worse than, oh, yeah, than we come out exactly. with. God. They'll be talking about sexual positions and everything. You're thinking, what are they doing? They're teaching the teachers how to do sex education. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so this is the problem. This is... This is the problem, I think, now that we have where, you know, as comics, we are, you know, at the end of the day, is you're, you're like, people say it's a hard job. It's not a hard job. I mean, you do, we, you know, it's a fun job. It's a hard job because we don't, you know, we don't know what the end result is going to be. It, it's not like, you know, you write a good joke, but of course that joke is bulletproof, but it's not going to be bulletproof in every environment. But, you know, sometimes people are going to love it more than others. And this is the point of being a comic where, you know, when you play to your audience, you're only as good as your next gig and you build up that audience. So I think if someone, if there's different ages in your audience, it doesn't matter, that's great. That means you're going to build a future, build a future of young kids growing up because they'll become adults, the older audience. I mean, look, people think, oh, yeah, it's always easy when you get middle-aged people in, which is easy. They're the easiest people because all people, you know when you come to the Edinburgh Festival, look at it, it's all... You know, it's certain 50, 60, 70-year-olds, retired Radio 4 listeners, and they just want to sit there and they'll listen very gently and then they'll laugh. And that is an easy audience, which is great. I find that unnerving because you never really? know if they're... It's hard with the under-30 crowd. Cause what, I'm 28, so if I get people yeah. between 20 and 30, they're the age that whoop and cheer. Yeah. And it's very obvious whether they're enjoying it and if they're silent, they're not. Whereas mm. the adults, the 40-year-olds, <laughs> that's when you become an adult these days. It's, it, that's, it's when they're... Um, you don't know, are they just being polite or are they yeah. enjoying themselves? Because most of them won't tell you they're having a bad time because they, they feel like they're your parents. No, they they exactly. want to be nice to youngins. Well, I think, uh, do you know what it is? I think it's quite funny because, especially at your age, when you're 28, cause, because you'll be thinking, oh my God, you'll be, you'll be on stage thinking, oh my God, are they going to like this or not? But actually, they'll be more nervous than you because they'll be, they'll be sat watching you going, oh, oh, this young lad, yeah, he's great. Oh, he'd be, oh, he'd be great. He'd be, and they're just willing you on. And I think that's a nice thing. So, so ride with that. Just take If you there. prove them, just prove them right, yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're there to be on your side. I mean, they're sat, they've literally invested hours to come and sit with you, see your show. So I think that's the best thing to do. I mean, especially for our style of comedy. I mean, unless obviously if you're an act that's going to attack the audience then that's not your that's not going to be your age range you're looking for you know there's a specific sort of audience a younger audience that like that sort of thing but yeah my gigs it's hilarious I will get you know people teenagers people in their 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s and to me it's just all the same it doesn't matter it's great I will obviously reference it sometimes I go oh yeah we've got the younger people there these people there bang and then if I do a reference like this show, this year I'm talking about like Love Island, and obviously that's for a younger. Every night that when I mention that, obviously there'll be people who cheer in the audience, even without me asking. I go, oh yeah, my missus be make me watch this show. It's called Love Island, and there'll be pockets of people all, and you can't even see because it it's dark in there, but you'll see pockets of people cheering, and I know that they're all between the ages of like. 18 to 29. Subtle way of doing market research, exactly. that, isn't it? Better than saying, oh, give me a cheer if you're yeah. over, give me a cheer if you've got Here a flyer go, today. Yeah. Hey. Ah. I've been, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. Been watching ITV2 and then people cheer. Whereas anyone over the age of 35 is not going to know what ITV2 is. Or, or they might do, but they're not going to watch it, you know. So it's that, but then, but then it's still a great gig because then you, you you acknowledge that and you go right. So these like you lot love all of love Island, you lot don't. Let me tell you about it. Bam 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 bam, and then you bring everyone together. Yeah. And that's the thing. Just don't alienate anyone. 
So then, um, going back to after I saw you at Reading, a couple of yeah. years later, you uh, wanted to show me the funny. Big TV show. Yeah. And that was, that was obviously, must have been a great yeah, thing to have done. That was, yeah. But the thing that sticks out in my mind was that, I mean, it's bad enough getting it, but I think comics need criticism. Yeah. Getting it on TV, oh, I think, yeah. is harsh. And the one, I think this is also a criticism that's levelled at loads of comedians that do crowd work. Yeah. The Kate Copstick comment of, oh, well, he's doing crowd, oh, he's just titting around. Yeah. But then, I think, I know a lot of comedians, Russell Hicks, for example, does yeah. a lot of crowd work, makes up a load of stuff, yeah. and people say, oh, well, it's just crowd work. But isn't that just a style in its its own I right? Know. And do, does that kind of thing Silly. annoy you? Or? Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, in terms of like answering that question in, in a couple of parts, so the first bit is, look, criticism. If you get critiqued about your stand-up, number one, you shouldn't really. I mean, look, we're at a big arts festival, and critics will come and review comics, which is ridiculous because at the end of the day, we're all comics. We've all got different art forms. The thing is, I would only ever take a review seriously if it was from, like, a, a comedy peer or comedy super. I'd have to be, like, you know, like, someone that you admired growing up. And, like, like mine were, like, Richard Pryor, Robin Williams, Dave Allen. So all these are dead. But imagine someone at that stage. If they went, if I would look, if they watched my show and they went, do you know what, Patrick? Said, I like what you do with that. That's good with that. But, you know, you do too much of that. Why don't you pull back with that? And I'd be like, wow, yeah, of course. I understand what you're saying. Because they've been on stage. They do that. Whereas with reviewers and critics, I mean, it's hilarious. These are people who have never stood on stage. It's like me and you just going up to, like, mm. a pilot, landing a plane and going, do you know what? You were a little bit a bit bumpy there on that plane. Do you know what I would do? I'd put it back. And they go, what, have you ever flown a plane? No, but I've been on a plane. Let me tell you, I've watched a plane land. You know, it's just silly. It's like, what advice are we going to give them? So I think it's... It was funny. I, that's why, like, these shows, like, um, Show Me The Money and uh, Show Me The Funny or whatever it's called, and the, uh, which is a great Freudian slip, but it was all about the money. <laughs> it was a great show <laughs> for the money. And it was uh, that show, and, like, uh, Britain's Got Talent, or any of these shows, I think they're great entertainment shows to watch, but that's all they are, is an entertainment They're not really... It's good if they can make them work for you, like Robert White managed to get yeah. a platform, you managed Robert to get White, a platform, yeah. Stuart uh, Goldsmith did all right. Yeah, Stuart Goldsmith, the Lost Voice guy, won Britain's Got Talent. Brilliant, I mean, that was perfect for him. That's what you've got to do, you, you've got to play the game. And, you know, at that point in 2008, I wasn't... I haven't really done much mainstream TV, and I'd love to do mainstream... That, that's my whole point, you know, was doing stuff like that. And... Um, so it was great. They paid you to come on. It was a great show. In terms of the criticism, though, in terms of this is the thing people don't understand. Like what you said, it is an art form. If you look at it, what um, most comics do is that you can't go into a room and please everyone. There's no way. Even I remember, I think, um, Eddie Izzard, all these comics, the ones who have reached the top of their game have all said... You know, they don't know the secret to success, but they can tell you the, they can tell you the easiest way to failure is to try and please everyone. And that is the problem where, you know, I can guarantee you, it, great comics like Gary Delaney, Milton Jones, Tim Vine, they can go on stage and do an hour of jokes and a critic will go, well, this is all just jokes. I mean, it's just one line is where's the, where's the real connection with the audience? Where's the thing? So you can't win either way. And it's the same with us. We'll go on and, Connect with an audience as in, good evening, how are you doing? Oh, hello, you guys. And then do your material. And they go, well, why does he chat to them? Because it's not like you don't write, which is the funny yeah. thing. But when you got that comment exactly. about not about just titting about, yeah, did yeah, it make yeah. you think, right, okay, I'll show you by writing stuff? Exactly. Or did it make you want to just ignore it and forge your own way? Uh, no, no, I think it was good. I mean, uh, Copstick, to be fair, Kate Copstick, um, 
I mean, she's what I like about Kate. She tells you how it is. She's very black and white. And on the show, she she told me she said she hated me for the first couple of weeks. And I'd known her in the past, and she was all right. And she doesn't like my style of comedy then. And I was like, yeah, great. And as long as you're honest. She was honest. But then she told me afterwards when I was doing the final on that, and she said, you know what? I've seen a real change in you. She said, I couldn't believe it because. The thing is, you, you do mess about, right? But the thing is, you have got material. And the problem is, your material is good, but you, you get distracted with your messing around. Whereas, actually, if you did, you can, you, you can mess around. You've shown people that you can do that, but they're now ready to see your material. You've got the room, you've got the focus. And the best advice I got from her was saying, look, just go out there and, and build up your, uh, right hand as much like your left hand and I think Johnny Vegas said the same it's like being a boxer you can you can knock everyone out with your left hand which is great but sometimes you're going to need to change it up it's boring if you just keep doing that you've got to show them what you can do with your right hand so this is your banter this is your material so it's like um, and it's amazing because it's taken me a few years but like this year's show 2018 is literally I come on I literally do about 30 seconds saying good evening how are you doing nice to see you guys and then and then 59 minutes is just material bang 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 there is a couple of bits where I'll I'll say like I said like that Love Island or there might be a bit where I'll get them to acknowledge because the whole show is about me marrying up because my missus is middle class and I'm working class and the whole thing was it's about that, and that's it. But the rest of it is pretty much material. And that took me years to get to this point where I feel comfortable doing that. Because I, I write every year. I mean, it's hilarious. Even then, before I was doing that show, I was writing hours of material, and I write loads. Do you actually sit down at a computer and write, or do you have a note and then no, ad-lib no. on stage and then go back and tinker yeah. with it? How, how do you actually... Because so, your style is all like all yeah. very freeform, so yeah. it's, it's, quite, it's hard to imagine you sitting down exactly. still to write anything. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. do you do that? Do you physically yeah, sit at a keyboard? Course, or yeah. A... So what I would do is, uh, the first thing I would do is I'd make notes. I'd be going around scribbling notes. Like, I'd see things, observations. I'd put them on my phone. Even at night, if I'm sleeping, I'd wake up, I'd get an idea. I scribble it down. Then the next day, if I'm travelling to gigs or I'm, or I'm around when I'm at home, I've time. Yeah, I'll write stuff up, but I'm better. Uh, I like to write out on a pad. I always get paranoid. I think write write out properly. Then I'll try and type it up because I get like a director for my stand-up shows. They want it scripted, so I'll send them a script of it. But the only thing is, this is the this is the problem. But it's a good problem to have is that when I write something. Uh, it's n- even though it's like finished in the format, it's not until I take it on stage because then on stage is when it totally changes. So I'll write a joke and I go, "This happened to me." Da 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 da. When it got this, and I bought this thing, and there's the punchline. But I take it on stage and it actually goes, "This happened." To- Have you done this? Bam bam bam. And then I'll get more into the detail about it, and I go, "Actually, oh, this actually did happen." But then this thing, and then I put more jokes on it. The only danger of that is that sometimes you put too much information into it. So you go on stage. And then you retell them the whole thing, but with every single detail. And they don't need to know every detail, but I'll do that. You know, I opened the door and I could see that some of the bolts needed greasing. You know, it sounded a bit squeaky. They don't need all that detail, but you do it because you're thinking, do you know what, let me really flesh this out. I want them to really feel it. And then, and then some nights they will laugh at the setup, but not the punchline, which is weird because the setup isn't meant to be funny. It was the big punchline. So that teaches you. And then I think, okay, what I'll do is let me rewrite this then. So let's, uh, so I like the setup thing. I need to either change the punchline, write some more, or even just cut it earlier. Because I'm the opposite. I like to just fill, fill, fill. So you, is it that you write, you write three or four alternatives, variations of that joke based on what's happened at gigs, or yeah. do you go on and edit on the fly? Oh no, 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 I will definitely. I'll edit on the fly. The first time I do it, it's like. Um, 
because that was the thing for me. It was funny when, you know, people do, like, new material nights. And I never, I never understood that because it was just like, I think when you go and do gigs, you can do 20, 30 minutes, whatever you're doing your show, just put your material in that. So you do obviously start with your stuff that works, put new material in the middle because it should be good standard anyway. You've written it. So I get that material in. That's the, that's the experience comic though, isn't yeah. it? If you're starting out, you need the confidence buffer. Yeah. I like the, I like the, the fact that I won't read from it, but if I can hold a notepad, just so the audience yeah. lowers their expectation. No. And I, so I'll try deliver it as yeah. well as I can, but I've got, is it maybe it's a comfort no, blanket? don't do it because right. I'll tell you now, it will, all it will do, it distracts the audience. They won't be able to laugh because they'll be looking going, oh, is he reading us off the bat? Oh, it's probably not going to be very good then if it's written like this and also you've got the you can't perform it you've got that thing not selling it, it right yeah and it breaks the whole illusion it's like but then if know. the joke doesn't work then oh, well, maybe they should just take that on the chin I don't know. do you know what I mean there's that there's no yeah. there's no buff because I don't want to the audience to, it's not just a comfort blanket I don't want the audience to think I'm delusional in that no. I'm selling this joke and it might turn yeah. out to be crap but at the same time, I don't want to but, missell it like you just yeah, described. Yeah, but what's the worst... I mean, look, what's the worst thing that can happen? You go on, you tell them an observation, or you tell them a joke. It, it doesn't get a big laugh. The audience are not bothered. They just go, well, you know, that joke wasn't funny for us tonight. We didn't see that. And obviously, it's new material. And you can do it at the end of it. You can just say, look, uh, you know, people do that joke where they say, oh, I won't be trying that again. But that might get a laugh. But I wouldn't bother with that. I'd just be honest with them. I would do... What I would do, I'd do routines, or I'd do something, and sometimes... Yeah, it, that doesn't get a laugh. And what I would do is I wouldn't make it look like that was a punchline. I would keep talking around it and linking it to something else so that they don't think wow. that was the so actual... search joke. for the punchline so to it. Ser- yeah, just <laughs> Wow, blundering in the dark. <laughs> that's it. Some nights you've got to take a... I mean, you look at, look at previews, look at Edinburgh. This is, like, fully polished shows, you know, or shows that we've finished. But look at the sweat and the blood and the tears that have got into that. Like, it's been six months of doing previews where... I remember doing previews where the little audience are lovely and they sort of know it's a preview or they know, and they will, they'll let go of it and you can rip it, it'll be great, but there will be points of the show where you'll do a routine and think, oh, this will go, and it will bomb, but it doesn't matter, you've just got to keep going because you know that I've got some faith in this routine. Okay, it's not working tonight, but I'm going to give it another three or four nights, I'm going to keep working it round. Because the thing is, you could turn that into gold, but it's brilliant, it's great doing a routine where you thought, actually, this was... I thought, you know, it was. I thought it was great, but it's rubbish. But then, actually, it can be great again, and then it is great. That's the amazing thing about Edinburgh. It's not mm. just one chance. I'm doing this show. You've got no. a whole month, so you yeah. can carry on. It's like I'm having a great time, but I am only doing a week, so yeah. I haven't got the fatigue. So yesterday, yeah. I was like, I had this one joke I did in the morning at my show. Yeah, it didn't quite work. I thought. Right. Ooh, then I jumped on. I did three four spots and Good. every time i kept doing that joke and eventually Brilliant. this morning it, it kind of worked so yeah. i think it's and that's the luxury to get to perform yeah. tw- four times a day yeah that's the learning experience did you tweak it what you when you were doing it did you just realize i'll get more rhythm behind it maybe the confidence behind it and i think i, I think i misunderstood where the punchline was. i did a throwaway and it got a bigger laugh so i made that the punchline yes. and now i've got a bit where there's the second bit is a bit more downbeat i sometimes you sense they're going to be too yeah. sad made too sad by that joke yeah. sometimes you think they'll be into the sadder stuff but no, this morning they were were they yeah. good? Uh, yeah, this morning they were lovely, but I could tell if I, I made it too... Because I'm on at 10 past 11 in the morning. They don't want that's, heavy stuff. I, I got the sense. That is... I'm the only one in my venue that... Because yeah. my show's yeah, 10 past 11, so I'm the only one who's not a kid's show, and I'm the first one there. Yeah. I'm, I'm the only person who's there before me is the, is the bartender who opens up the door. Yeah. 
Well, that's the pro- exactly. This is the problem with Edinburgh. It's great that there's shows on 24 hours a day, but 10 past 11 in the real world outside of Edinburgh is like 6 a.m. to anyone else. Way too early. So that's like full credit to you for doing a show. I'm getting away with it because I've only got a 30-seater. Because I asked Laughing Horse for a room, small room, away a time away from drunks. Yeah. So they put me on at 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. But I'm getting 19, 20 in touch with. So that's, that's what I need. It's like, like middle-aged tourists sort of thing looking for something. Or? Middle-aged couples. We, we, I, I have one of my acts go up and fly on the, the Gilded Balloon. I stayed up by the venue. Yeah. And we get couples, we get Brilliant. families, and we just get the odd sort of strays, normally while they're waiting to go to see something else. Um, so it, it kind of kind of muddling our way through, really. That's but with, with like a week, I'm having a great time. How do you do a full run? Because I'm quite intimidated by the even the thought of doing that Whoa. how do you not just because i'm going to be so tired after no, this no, no. week whereas like yeah. how do you get in maximize the opportunities without burning yourself out because i couldn't do what i'm doing at the moment for the whole month i think i'd yeah. burn out well it's like that old cliche isn't it it's like this is uh, people say this is a marathon it's not a sprint and uh, it's not this is like 10 marathons i mean this is you've got to be careful the the only advice i'd say to everyone and to yourself honestly the enjoy these compilations enjoy it while you're doing the couple of people when you come do your first show it is going to be brutal that's the thing. it doesn't matter how good your show is doesn't matter how strong you think you are it will kill you but that only makes you stronger i mean that is the hard i mean i've done loads of things in my life. i've done things where you think jesus i've run three marathons i've done this i've done that i've done things that will you know, we just do the endurance. You think, Jesus, why do you do that? And you want to give up half a food. But at the end of it, that um, adulation, that just that sense of achievement is unbelievable. It's like, I've never taken drugs, but it's like the closest you'll ever get to that. And with Edinburgh, this is the thing I'll tell you. I mean, it doesn't matter how much you prepare. It, emotionally and physically, it will break you. But that'll, but only because it's like training. If you've got the best coach in the world, they break you down, break you down until you're nothing, and then they build you back up. And that's what Edinburgh's like. I, when I first did my solo show in Edinburgh, I had come off the back of a couple of years of doing compilations where it's great fun. Someone like um, we had great promoters, we had a nice venue. It was all easy. It was great. There was an audience. There was we were a team. There was a couple of us doing it. It was brilliant. And then when you do your first show, you still have, like, your agent and you have a team, but it's only you on stage and you're panicking. And every night is the show going to be going, it's this and it's the pressure. And it was, um, even though it was all right, it just destroys you. After mm. about a week, one or two, you're going to go. And I, when I did it, the first time I did it, with comics who were much better than me, they had great material and all this, and they were doing their first shows, giving up. They literally just stopped doing it. I said, are you mad? Why would you give up? And, and that's what it does to you. But then... That's my concern. I want to come back better, not broken. That's the thing. No, no, but that's the thing. You get broken, but when you come back, you tend... So when I came back the year after, come back, and now, it's like, it's so easy. It's not easy, but it's just like, right, I know what to do. I've been... It's like boxing. If you get hit in the face, it's not about... It's not about being able to punch someone. It's about being hit three times, find out and pulling yourself back up and then hitting someone. And that's... And this is what Edinburgh's like now. It's like, yeah, it's great. I'm like, I do Edinburgh. I go, yeah, whatever. You throw whatever you want. I've got this. It's easy. And then, and then just go through it. It's not easy, but it is. It's workable. Now it's like, yeah. So what? That's my month. I can do this. Because like, what strikes me about when you're on stage, uh, despite however many 
shows you've done, you've got this, it's just really upbeat and cheerful. Yeah. Like, do you ever have bad moods? And do you have nights where you kind of have to fake it? Because I couldn't imagine Mm. you turning up to a place being grumpy, but comedy's your job, and whatever you do day in, if you do something every day, it becomes routine. I bet the astronauts were sick of space. Yeah, So do you ever have nights where you're just like, oh... God. Yeah. And do you just have to fake it? What do you do? Um, do you know what? I No, because this is a job that, I mean, it's so funny, I don't even call it a job, even though this is my only, this is this is what pays your bills, this is your whole, what your house, everything, it's your life. But it's so funny, it's that, that thing where they say, if, if it doesn't feel like work, then you're doing the best job in the world, and it is, this is my, you know, it's like, I used to go out and gig every night, I used to go, I tour all around the UK, I travel all the time, and and most people are like, Jesus, how can you travel and do all this? Whereas actually, I love it. It's not that hard. It's like, great, because the thing is, during the day, as long as you're home and you relax and you're right and you're doing your bits and pieces and you enjoy your time, and then I actually look forward to going out at night. I think, right, I'm going to go out and do a show. These people have turned up to the show. Oh, my God, they've come to see you. So you enjoy that. And, it, it, and even some days where you are a bit ill, like the other night, I got a stomach bug where I got something and... Um, and, and I, it already happened to me once before where I threw up on stage. And it's hilarious. The audience were laughing because they thought it was part of a joke. And, like, the other night, I did the same thing. I, got, I must have got a stomach bug. I think I got it off my missus because uh, she had one where she's a bit ill. And it's a 24-hour bug. So I literally went on And literally, I took two paracetamols. My head is throbbing on the afternoon. I couldn't, like, you know, you tried to sleep it off. And then I went to the gig to do my solo hour, like an hour show at 8 o'clock. And literally before I went on, like, it couldn't even open my eyes fully like this. And then I introduced myself. As soon as you walk on stage, bam, the adrenaline's pumping because the audience will come to see you, wow, wow, wow. And you go through it for an hour. And then I did that, ran over with Mrs. We did our dating show. And as soon as that finished, the second show, I literally said, thanks, good night. And I ran off and went straight into the bathroom and just threw up in the... And I literally just threw up because I'd had this... <laughs> and that was the adrenaline that kept me going. So it was perfect. So that's so if you can, that just shows how great it is, good fun it is to do comedy. You're doing a job that you love. I mean, yeah, look, if I was working, like I've done jobs working in a factory, I've done jobs working on the roads. If I was ill, uh, I wouldn't think twice about just ringing and going, do you know what, I'm not coming in today, see you later. Whereas with this, it's like you love it. It's like, look, these people have come to buy, you know, buy tickets. You know, these people have invested. They've taken time out of their holidays. They work you know, all year round. They go grafting nine to five every day. They've come to see you. So I think, yeah, let's go out there and give them a show. And I love it. I mean, it's like, it's ridiculous. I mean, look at what we do. This is a job. You go and do, um, you know, I have, like, my agent sorts out the fees, which is because I'm rubbish at the money like that. Whereas it is one of the things where, you know, it's, you know, if you do a charity gig or something, and you do that for free, of course, because you want to help the charity. But also, yeah, it'd be nice. I'll go and do it. Yeah, it'd be nice. I just want to come and do it. It's not like, you know, can you imagine if me and you worked on a building site and someone rang us up and went, uh, listen, can you come and can build you this? build this building yeah. for charity? Yeah. Can you come and build this conservatory? It'll take you three days. Get up at 6 a.m. for three days. It's just for a mate of ours. You know, he's a bit <laughs> skinny. We're like, uh, no, you're all right, mate. So the trick is just yeah. absolutely love it. You mentioned no, the dating show. Lily's yeah. here as well. So we've got, we've got to talk about the dating show. Lily, um, Lily. Lily. Come in, Lily. 
<laughs> it's Lily, Lily Lavette, isn't it? It's not Lily Vanilli. It's not your yeah, actual name. Pat calls me Lily Vanilli, and um, some people do actually think that's my name now, which is really embarrassing. It's because of Instagram. I had to yeah. stop myself calling you that. But. No, <laughs> it's like it's a so nickname that now sometimes at gigs people come up to me and go Lily Vanilli, <laughs> and I'm like, hi. <laughs> Uh, no, it's Lily Love It. And it doesn't help, Rod, is that she has Lily Vanilli on the back of a ca- on her phone. Because Pat took me to a cafe called oh, Lily, Lily Vanilli. Vanilli, and they had stickers on the brownies. But can I just say that I, I had named Lily Vanilli way, way before, before that cafe that even existed. Sue them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh. It's so, right, I know about the dating show. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute, but I'm woefully ignorant of a lot of your performance outside the uh, the. the the Pat universe. What, 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 what are your solo shows like? Well, um, I've only done one. I'm an actress. I'm not a stand-up. Right. Um, so I've done stuff like I'm in the Inbetweeners, stuff like that. Lots of comedy, TV stuff, mm-hmm. um, Harry Potter, just all sorts of acting jobs, really. And um, yeah, uh, then I do impressions last year. I do yeah. like celebrity impressions. So I did my first Edinburgh show last year, and that was an hour of um, celebrity all impressions. All right, me name. All right, I like that. Oh, the Cheryl. I've seen clips yes. of you doing Cheryl. Car- yeah, yeah. I see them online as well. Yeah. Kim Kardashian, Jericho, Melania oh, Trump. So um, was the the show a whole batch of celebrity impressions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you'd come on, do a number of characters in yeah. the hour? Yeah, yeah. And I had sort of um, uh, some big screens. I did it in espionage. And so I had like multimedia as well so that I could get off, get changed, come back on. Um, yeah, a lot of that good. stuff's online. It's great. Yeah. She's good at, like Lily's... See, it's different for comics where... Our stuff is more online. We're a bit backwards where we do live, 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 whereas Lily's coming from that thing where she does stuff online. I'm which used is, to filming, I think, yeah, as an actor. If you're a jobbing actor, most of your work's telly, so you're used to filming, so that's sort of my comfort zone, whereas Pat's very much yeah, live. I like live, Whereas yeah. from doing the dating show this year, actually, I'm really enjoying live. Yeah. I like the instant reaction. And I'm uh, doing more sketches now on, he's, on he's YouTube, and I'm doing impressions. <laughs> oh, you're swapping, <laughs> swapping skills there. I always find it fascinating when either comics try and do acting and they have suddenly they have to learn lines whereas they might have to ad lib did you find the transition from acting into comedy difficult or was Um, it just like well I'm doing a different role now do you just treat it like a different role yeah um at first I found it really odd because I'm so comfortable playing characters I could play to as many people as you wanted and I wouldn't I wouldn't be nervous at all but as myself that's much more nerve-wracking and at first I felt really vulnerable on stage as me like as Lily because I'd never done it before um whereas now it's fine I feel really relaxed and I'm with Pat and yeah I just you've of course confidence grows and it is slightly like a character but it it's more it is me but yeah, just you just get extension of your personality yeah right? slightly heightened um, but yeah it, it's it's nice it's fun and we get to interact the, the whole show because it's talking about dating so the first yeah. 10 minutes is just us talking about dating what it's like and there's a little bit of interaction with the audience we get yeah. a guest on who's single we fix people up but then it's but it is based on stuff that we've researched yeah. or we talk about our lives and, and so it is quite easy. Isn't yeah, it? like, it's you know. kind of like the way Pat and I are anyway, because humour is like a massive part of our relationship. And so we kind of do a lot of that yeah. on stage, I think. Um, yeah, a lot of banter with each other. So in that case, you, you can just bat- bouncing off. It's like the old, because double acts are gradually coming yeah. back. There's slightly more of them now, so maybe there's, there's more room, room for, for yeah. double acts. We're like the anti-deck the... of, the, of the married world. I'm <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I'm trying to remember which one had the drink problem. Um, they might have arrested the wrong one just because no one could tell them apart. Yeah. You never know. Ah, oh, so with the the uh, scripted impressions and stuff, did you ever ad lib around them, or would, would you have to 
yeah. just learn the lines or what would, um, how would that in my work? my Edinburgh show, yeah, yeah I ad-libbed. Um, I, there was a structure, though, which I pretty much stuck to, but the more I did it in Edinburgh, like doing a month, you naturally kind of want to progress a bit. And so I would get more and more comfortable as the run went on and then I would start to ad-lib. And I'd get people up out of the audience. That was part of the structure as well. People would interact with Cheryl or whatever. Um, so the more it went on, the more comfortable I was with just going with whatever and adding stuff yeah because you yeah with that audience because that's the problem yeah you have to get people up so you don't know what they're going to say each night but that's, and that's fun and that's great i love i love that. but that's what, what i love about stand-up that's the whole point with us i think with and it's so funny how people critique it where you go but the whole point is it's going to be a different audience every night mm. you could just go on if it's going to you're just going to say the same thing every night just put a dvd on what's the point of you might <laughs> yeah. as well put a big screen on michael mcintyre whatever you know he's like you you might as well just put a big screen on put him on and just bring 300 people in every night just to watch it there's no point you know you want to see someone live on stage that's the whole thing because there will be different people every night there will be like you said the 14 year old with his mum and dad in the front row which will make it hilarious and then the next night you're going to yeah. get two people for the dating thing. show that happens now but for your show it very much is all material yeah which material. Yeah, 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 which I think works better whereas in the dating show we can have more license to be like oh who's in mm. I think it depends on the show yeah with the, the dating show and being a couple doing something publicly on stage is there any like are there risks attached to that? Like, maybe, I don't know, maybe you have a row about the dishes and that bad mood could <laughs> oh, creep over. We, is there... Is that there... makes it better. I think that's the whole point that makes it what? better that we, <laughs> that we, we... can argue on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I can't believe that we haven't had a big argument. Yeah. Because doing Edinburgh, as you know, it's stressful when you're doing shows and we're doing an entire month together. Mm. We've written the show together, we've previewed together, we're performing together, we're living together, everything is like... That, um, but actually, touch wood, yeah. we've got a week left. It's been fine. We we get on really well, and I think both yeah. of us know that we're both professional enough, just enough to when we go on stage. That's exactly. it. We're performing, yeah. and we're in performance. And also, the good thing is when the single men's come up, there's a single man will come on stage. Lily takes the mick out of him, so it's yeah. all right. I don't then have to because normally we'll take the mick out of each other, but she'll turn well, her we, attention we on do that, that too. <laughs> we do enough. Of that. Are you? Have you got a Mrs. Moore running? No, 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 no. You have to come on the show. <laughs> Do you want to come out dating show? Do you want to do that then? How does it all work out? So what we do is we go on, we do the first 10 minutes, me and Lily come on, we talk to the audience, we tell them about dating, about what it's like in single and couples, we talk about our relationship, then we bring a guest single performer, like last night we had Shappy called Sandy on who's single, we've had Imran Yusuf on, you can come on on what night, Friday we've got a night. Look at the diary after. Friday or Sunday we'll get you on, you come on, and what we do is we get you to come on and you're the the guest and we bring single women out the audience for you and... um, and then you just uh, will you get to question? We give you some questions. A few and rounds. The, there's and a few rounds. Blind date. Yeah, yeah. scary. But the but you see them. But the audience help us decide. They'll you decide, help you. And then, we'll help and then, you. And then we do a few rounds. And then we have like a few. Um, questions and challenges set up to see whether you go on a date. What's the next uh, um, idea then? Is it just keep doing the dating show, or is there a? Another idea of doing yeah. another double act star thing or both well, pursuing your own shows? Well, we both continue our own careers separately. Pat's a stand-up. I'm an actress. We keep doing that as, as usual. Um, but with regards to working together, I think there's a lot we're interested in doing together. The dating show, definitely, we're going to continue. We're going to do a regular spot in London, uh, possibly weekly. And then um, there's talk about maybe in Liverpool once a month. So we'll see, maybe tour it a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so do more with that. We're also talking to uh, TV production companies about trying to 
um, yeah, see what we can do with it on telly. TV pilot of the dating show. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's exactly. a big chasm. There's, I guess, um, oh, what's it called with Paddy take McGuinness? Me take, yeah. take Me Out half taken the blind date niche but yeah. still, there's still a gap there for something yeah, well, family, family fun family, and, and exactly. uh, yeah. blind, blind date came back I think Paul O'Grady's doing it now so I mean there's still mm. loads of there's so many channels now on TV and there's and everyone loves dating look at first dates look at every channel now has yeah. ITV's got blind date uh, take me out channel 4's got first dates channel 5's got a blind date so every so we're literally Looking for hope for that, you know, platform. We've got a few TV companies interested, because, a few interested. Yeah, in and there's no real couple presenting a dating show, which yeah. we just think is mad. We're Why wouldn't you have a real life couple, couple present it together? So that's what that's very weird. Um, so yeah, no, definitely, we'll, we'll keep going with um, with the dating show and our separate things, and then yeah, see what else. And we'll take together. that round. We want to do it in London as a regular yeah. thing. The dating show, yeah, we'll tour it round. And yeah, and I think that's, and then hopefully, and then obviously we're back next year, a new stand-up show, Lily will hopefully do a one-woman show, and then we'll do the dating show as well. And we write together and stuff. We, yeah, we we'll started writing a sitcom together, but it went on hold for the dating show. <laughs> yeah. So I think... Do you give each other notes then? Do you critique each other's oh, material? Yeah, all the time. All yeah, the time. Really I'm really good. harsh with Pat, because my dad's a stand-up comedian, so... Um, and my mum was always giving him really harsh notes. <laughs> Why did you say that? That was crap. Um, so, can you both detach enough for it to yeah. be professional and helpful, I guess? Pat's <laughs> amazing. So you don't make Pat cry? No, no Pat, Pat is so good. He really, like, listens and takes everything on board, and he's just such a... Yeah, he's brilliant like that. He never gets offended. And, and I hope I don't really either. We, we just trust each other's opinions yeah. enough that we help each other. It's helpful. Yeah, it's amazing so, to have a partner that's yeah. in the industry and can Because it's like a free, It's like getting a director for yeah. Yeah. which is what I've used for Edinburgh and Lily's helped so much because yeah. it is that thing about you know where I enjoy and this is the danger as a stand up you can enjoy the gig too so much that you forget the audience is there like I'll be going off and like, <laughs> yeah, messing about it in. with all this yeah. and like people as long as people are laughing you just carry on but the thing is you know, eventually some of the people might go okay he's going mental now and then you're climbing up a frame and you're joking about stuff <laughs> And when it's your partner, you're not scared to be like wanting to be polite or not hurt their feelings. You can just be completely honest, which actually is really helpful. Right. When Pat says to me, "Oh, actually," and also we're coming from we, we both get comedy, me from an acting perspective, and Pat from stand up, so we both are on the same wavelength, but coming from slightly different perspectives. So it's actually really helpful. Mm. I think if we were doing the exact same job, it might be a little bit. So there's enough off. distance yeah. there to have a bit. Of, as long as you need outside roles. perspective. Yeah, we have different mm. jobs. Awesome. But, I think we've yeah. been chucked out the room. Yeah. Now, but Patrick Monaghan and bonus guest uh, <laughs> Lily Lavette. Well, thank you so much. Can I just tell you, this isn't the first time that I've been told to wind it up and get off stage. <laughs> yeah, this is a continue. I don't it felt like it was Lily at that time. The comedy club needs to shut. The bar staff need to go home. Get off stage. Get off stage. Thank you, Rodders. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. That was Patrick Monaghan and Lily Lovett. If the dating show doesn't get commissioned by a TV station, uh, although I'm not a hat person. Person, I will go out and buy a hat and uh, do the old cliche of eating it. Now, I thought I'd tell you one more tale of my uh, Edinburgh adventure. I managed to perform in, I think, the smallest, most claustrophobic space I've ever performed in. It's called the Wee Room. It's up above uh, the Three Sisters, and it is a really nice room. Like, it's set up nicely. It's got a proper mic and, and tech and everything, uh, and the, the, the venue look after it very well. But it's ideally, I think you're meant to fit 
10 to 15 in. Uh, but my uh, colleague and comedy friend Joe Baines uh, is too good at flyering. He managed to get about 20 to 25 in this place. Oh my goodness, it was like a sauna. We couldn't breathe and it was it was quite chaotic. Um, there were a lot of... Uh, uh, people drinking um, and they seemed they looked like a kind of rough and ready Saturday night club but when Joe did some of his edgy material um, it didn't land they were a bit like oh don't know about this so they they, they were a, a gentle afternoon crowd that looked like a rough Saturday night crowd because there, there are a lot of very burly men a lot of them Scottish um, and it was it was just a really strange gig and both Joe won't mind me saying this but we both really struggled with it It because usually if I'm put in a position like that I can I'm generally going to mad improv mode there's a video of me on my YouTube channel where I'm facing down a a room full of drunks at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning at a gig in Banbury and because it was so rowdy they kind of uh, I took their energy and sort of threw it back at them in, in the form of silliness but when this audience was kind of really quite low energy i had nothing really to to kick against so it was just it was i was very uncertain i felt quite out of my depth with that gig and that's the amazing thing about edinburgh you can i I just uh, uh come from doing i i just had a pretty good gig at my own show this morning and, and felt pretty confident thought oh yeah i know what i'm doing and then moments later you're on stage thinking oh God, this comedy lark's hard work. Uh, it was one of those instances, and it's those things that that, that make you stronger as an act. Because uh, like me and Joe afterwards, we sat down once the audience had gone, and we were like, "Oh, what happened? Why? How can we we learn from this?" And that's the crucial thing. Like, I was angry at myself because I didn't do better, but I think the trick is to not beat yourself up too much because comedy's blooming hard. But th- at the same time, I need to work out what I could have done better and what I did wrong in that room. Uh, we're still pondering about it now. And in fact, uh, we went downstairs to the bar and uh, one, of, one of the big burly men who'd been in the room uh, walked up to me and Joe and I thought, oh dear, he's just going to tell us we're rubbish or, or maybe he's going to say, don't quit your day job. But he was really nice. He said, look, I think part of the problem was we could see it should have been a good show, but it was so cramped and we were so hot. I just felt really tense and therefore I couldn't relax and laugh at you as as much as I wanted to. And that kind of immediate audience feedback was... It's amazing. It was also really nice how sort of gently he put that to us. Um, so, yeah, that's that's wonderful. Sometimes uh, uh, people do surprise you in, in the nicest of ways. And uh, me and Joe just took that as a learning experience. And that's the, the weird thing about the unsettling and the exciting thing about Edinburgh is the sheer contrast. The day before, for whatever reason, uh, me and Joe did the same uh, gig to about four or about to to six people so we had exactly the opposite problem we had too few people and that other day we had too many uh and that's what's just so exciting about edinburgh it's just like everything happens all at once all at the same time and pretty much anything is possible uh, i've caught up with loads of acts while i was in edinburgh and i've got loads more stories to tell you but i'm going to save those for another edition of the stand and deliver podcast but right now i need to tell you what's coming up at the stand and deliver comedy club uh and next show is on the 13th of september uh making a triumphant return to stand and deliver it's izzy lawrence an amazing comic uh you can see her playing the big rowdy comedy clubs and also delivering intellectual shows at the british museum she's a fantastic a real force of nature and our headliner is tom mayhew last year he performed his show uh fragile fragments for us at a set at a uh, saturday special and he's doing a headline spot this time round he's an amazing act very very interesting because he's very kind of downtrodden and 
self-deprecating, but at the same time has a real command of a room. Uh, supporting him on the bill will be Andy Barr, Nick Bayard, uh, Ben Bridgman, and a few more as well. Line-up subject to change. I've got to put that in at the end. Uh, what am I doing? No rest for the wicked. It, in fact, I did a gig the day I came back from Edinburgh on Saturday. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm one of the few people to double up Edinburgh and Reading. I performed at the uh, Sun Inn on Castle Street for Jeff Steele's Go On My Son. It was a night of absolute drunken mayhem, and I ended up climbing on a lot of furniture and doing an awful lot of silliness. On the 6th of September, I'm at Rumcom Comedy. That's at Domino 94, an Italian restaurant in Camden. It's a night of rum and comedy. Uh, going to be great fun. Although this isn't stand-up, I'm going to tell you about this anyway because this is an amazing event and I'm so pleased to be hosting this again. I'm hosting the Royal Berkshire Hospital Charities Soapbox Race. Uh, yep, the people have spent months and months building uh, go-kart type things and they're going to race it down the hill at Englefield Park and, and crash them. It's an amazing thing to do. Uh, you've got to go see a soapbox race at least once or twice in your life and I'll be standing trackside and doing all the commentary. I did it last year. A thousand people turned out to watch and it was incredible. And that is on the 8th of September. Uh, so yeah, uh, go buy your tickets for that. It's only a tenner for a whole day of entertainment and it all raises money for the Royal Berkshire Hospital, the hospital I was born in and very, very well looked after when I was born there as well, I must add. Uh, so yeah, all your, all the info you need plus past episodes of this podcast are available at rodders.com, R-H-O-D-D-E-R-S. Uh, before I go, please do me a massive favour and don't just leave this to somebody else. Write me a nice review on iTunes or whatever you listen to this podcast on. Honestly, it really helps because... Uh, I'm I'm actually just recording this in my bedroom of my house share. Uh, I'm, I haven't got a huge team of people marketing for me and I don't have an army of producers like most of the people in the top 10 of the podcast chart. So uh, um, do me a favour and uh, post a review because it encourages me uh, to do more of these episodes because it does take a bit of time. Time I'm very happy to spend, but as long as you lot are listening, because if no one's listening, what's the point? Uh, so thanks for downloading and I will see you on the next edition of the Stand and Deliver podcast. Thank you.